Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is episode 57 of Life Science Marketing Radio. And you know, on the last episode, David Schifrin interviewed me, and one of the main threads of that conversation was how career-type things often are topics on this show. And today is one of those episodes. I think it's very important um, that we're not always thinking just about marketing, because if you're a marketer in a company, there are you have other things to do. And one of those things is building a team so that you can accomplish all the things that you're trying to do with your marketing. So today's topic will be very valuable and I think very interesting for anyone in that position, whether you're on a team or you're trying to build a team, to think about not only the skills you need to hire, but also the behaviors. And this goes way beyond the tell me about a time when interview questions as you'll you'll hear in this interview. Before we get started, though, I'll say a little bit about the ACPLS, the Association of Commercial Professionals Life Sciences. The ACPLS has scheduled its annual meeting this year. It will take place in Boston on October 25th through the 27th. We have a really great lineup. Um, We haven't published the agenda fully yet, but that should be up very soon. But a lot of great breakout sessions, um, things about tactics, strategy, digital marketing, procurement, ask the customers anything you want, panels, the whole deal. I'm sure best ever uh, meeting for the ACPLS. So looking forward to that. You can check it out and register because registration is now open at acp-ls.org. All right, let's jump into today's interview. Today, my guest is Bob Penny. Bob is the CEO of Mercatius Limited. And what Mercatius does is specializes in helping small and medium-sized life science tools companies improve their revenues and profits through improving their processes. Bob has a particular passion for recruiting the right people for the right job and building effective A-teams, which is what we're going to talk about today. So, Bob Penny, thanks for joining us on Life Science Marketing Radio. Chris, it's a pleasure and an honor to be on here. Thanks ever so much, and uh, thanks for the great summary. Ah, my pleasure. So we were introduced by Harrison Wright, who's been on this podcast. He helps out the ACPLS with a webinar series and been a big supporter of the show. And he suggested that you would have some valuable insights for my audience. So we're, I mentioned we're going to talk about building a teams, which I think a lot of marketers will be interested in. But just for context, give us your background in the life sciences. Um, well, I've been in the life sciences now for some 35 years, which probably matches the uh, the lack of hair that I have. Um, but I focused mainly uh, on the past 20 years on uh, building companies. So I've started the um, 
subsidiaries for both Ambien um, in Europe and also Acuri Cytometers. And I've run a Finnish company called uh, Biosilter. So within that, um, you know, it's, it's basically doing business uh, in the life science tools arena. And I personally think that uh, uh, people are one of the four great cornerstones that make a great company. Uh, the other three being products, processes, and philosophies or values. And I've always tried to build a team uh, that really gels together, uh, hiring the right people for the right job and the right team. So I, it's a passion of mine. I love growing people and lifting lids off them. Nice. I, I like I like how you phrased that. So obviously you have a way of going about this but and it must come from some belief that you know there's a better way to do things so what would you describe as the problem for how we might typically go about hiring uh, new talent for our teams well it, it's interesting i think it was uh, Steve Jobs uh, said that recruiting was one of the most important skills that a manager can possess um, he believed in hiring 18 players to get 18 results. And personally, he hired, I don't know whether this is a common fact, but he hired over 5,000 people. You look at that and then ask yourself the question, you know, which manager has ever had coaching in recruitment and how often do they get to practice it? Because generally speaking, you're looking to recruit somebody uh, for filling a hole that's in your organization or alternatively a new position that's coming up. Um, but it's not something that you do day in, day out. Um, so that's one of the problems I've encountered is, is basically people don't know what they are supposed to do and they look to their HR department, um, which they can help, that's for sure. Um, <clears throat> but when you're a small company, you won't have an HR department. Right. So I, I, I guess that really the, there are five key issues that I personally encountered in hiring and tried to really develop my own process or a better process for me and my teams um, to recruit recruit the right people for the right job and the right team and the first thing i i realized actually was that the job descriptions that i'd been given for for instance um, technical specialist or salespeople or uh mark markom's person that i was given from for instance in ambien from head office um they were job descriptions for people over there in that organization, not in my organization. And I found that they actually didn't, they actually weren't clear as to, I wasn't clear as to uh, what they were actually conveying in terms of the person's key duties and their responsibilities. So I would say that, um, you know, one of the key things I've encountered is that poor dot job descriptions um are common and they usually arise when the immediate management uh, manager doesn't actually think carefully enough about what they want the job to do. 
And that's actually quite critical because without the manager and the candidates having a clear and common idea of what a successful person needs to do in the job, then there is a great risk that the the whole process falls over from the start. And I've I've seen that in previous companies. Yeah, I, I'll just jump in here. I mean, I think you, first of all, you're right. You never get any coaching in um, how to hire someone. And then, as I look across job descriptions, it's that's another thing that. Um, maybe there's not a formula for Harrison did a nice job on the podcast of describing a different way to write up a job description, but the vast majority, as you say, are, are horrible. And it, it, and because you get no training and it requires a lot of thought about what you really want and they're just written poorly. And, um, you know, so it's kind of a, a crapshoot who's going to apply and it's a crapshoot if you're an applicant about what you're going to get if you're hired. Well, absolutely. And it, it sort of runs a high risk of, um, you know, unhappy people and a mismatch of expectations and that with comments like the isn't what I expected to be, you know, or the manager turning around and saying they're not doing the job I expected them to do and they're not really doing it very well. Um, so, you know, if you don't get a job description right, and by right, I mean that virtually anybody should be able to understand what the objective of the job is and what the key duties are and the responsibilities and also ensure that the authorities match the responsibilities because I've been in that situation before where you've got all the responsibility and none of the authority. Um, And naturally, it should also state the key skills and experience. Um, And importantly, how the job should actually be measured and when it's going to be measured. Um, this is something that, uh, you know, that, that managers don't actually think about quite very carefully. So measuring can include things like, uh, quarterly bonuses and whether they are bonuses based on activities or, uh, results, um, be it sales results or other, other results, you know, that needs to be made clear in the job. Well, that was the first thing. That's that's the first thing. I should also say that the job description be, should be written by the manager first and not by HR. Um, if you are in a company where you have an HR department, then no problems with HR helping out or fine-tuning it or putting it into the corporate format. But the manager should really uh, formulate the job description. It, it's that thinking process that's absolutely critical. The second issue I would say is selecting interview candidates based only on qualifications and experience. Um, and by that, I mean, you see a, a, a resume, you look at the qualifications, you look at what's written there, you make several assumptions. Um, my experience has been that this results in actually interviewing many more candidates uh than you need to and um, many of whom end up or turn up to be unsuitable so it's a it's it's a bit of a I would say it wastes a lot of management time 
Um, by unsuitable, by the way, I mean not having the behaviours required in to be successful in the job. Um, <clears throat> and the next thing is obviously hiring the people based on the same basis, just qualifications, experience, and what you see in the interview. Um, I've quite often seen... Uh, um, people being point, appointed on this basis and turning out to be unsuitable for the job, not performing well, and not fitting in with the existing team or getting on with the manager. And that, to be quite honest with you, I've concluded is all because they're not using their natural behavioural strengths in the job. Then, <clears throat> then the last uh, key issue or key problem having a an unstructured recruitment process um i mean recruiting is subjective uh, at best and um you know what i've tried to do in my recruitment processes that i've used over the past 20 years is actually bring uh an increased uh amount of object Activity into the uh, recruitment process. Um, it, it, you know, you can basically uh, filter out people that are unsuitable, um, and I use the Belvin Team Roles profiling to do that. Um, <clears throat> and uh, you know, reduce the amount of interview time. I, I've, you know, if you're interviewing 10, 15 candidates it's for a particular job um the my question is why i mean, certainly aren't 10 or 15 highly suitable and eligible people for the job you know it's uh there, there are usually fewer than those yeah i like that so let's let's dig into some of those um we'll go back and um you know just based on my own experience of course we naturally think in a resume sort of context. So you're looking at a piece of paper or a PDF and you're thinking who the first step, the way I look at interviewing has always been, you know, who can do this job. And then you interview them and you say, who do you want to do this job? Essentially you're, you're trying to assess that fit in the interview, but it's not a very objective thing. Um, and some people might interview well and you try to dig in for those behaviors, as you mentioned, but it's really, um, and then there's maybe a number of people involved and they have different impressions and it, there's no fair comparison because you may not have each sat in on every other um, reviewer's interview. So you don't, you don't get the full picture. So what, what's the problem with just saying we're going to hire the most qualified person for the job, whatever that means? Uh, it, it, it's interesting uh, because usually um, qualified means refers generally to um, somebody that's hired for his qualifications, experience, obviously who interviews well. Um, but most interviews are focused on people's competencies. Um, which is which is interesting um, and not unusual, I, I have to say. Um, after a you know, let, let's let's uh, take somebody that was hired based on that, 
and the uh, colleagues noticed that despite the person having all the knowledge, experience and qualifications to do the job, they haven't actually achieved or contributed much in reality. In addition to that, they're, you know, they're unhappy or negative a lot of the time and that tends to bring down the rest of the team. And I, I can think of uh, for people that, uh, that fit that bill uh, that uh, uh, I've hired in years gone past. And the reason that the person is unhappy and isn't doing the job is because no one looked at the behaviours that were required for the job and whether or not that person possessed those natural behavioral strengths. And let, let's, let's give an example. An experienced technical person who is good at relating to people will not necessarily make a great technical salesperson if they don't possess the drive to overcome objections and achieve sales objectives. And how do you check that? You know, they, you could ask them the question in the interview and they may say, yes, they do. But do they? Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it really is um, a, a bit of a hit and miss affair uh, when you're sort of trying to formulate questions uh, during an interview to try and check that. Right. So, um, you know, we're, we're talking about behavior in, in the interview process. And a lot of times, uh, you know, if you read the books on behavioral interviewing, it starts, tell me about a time when. And um, so would you talk a little bit about, you know, roles on the team and thinking behind taking behavior account in, in the hiring process? So how do, you, how do you measure those things that we would typically try to get at by that tell me about a time when question? Well, generally, the, sort of the questions tell me about a time when are, are not going to uncover the behavioural preferences of a person. They're more directed towards uncovering competencies um, that are basically related about how how a person went about things. Um, so that's more focused towards sort of process type thinking. Um, as you said yourself, interviews are also pressure situations, you know, where candidates can either get tongue-tied or embellish on history, tell you what you hear. Um, and it's a natural thing that if you like the, the look of the candidates, you may hear what you want to hear, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So the, the question is, how do, you, how, do you, how do you ensure that you get to the real person and ensure an objective and common assessment of behavioural preferences. That's the key question. Uh, personally, I, for the last sort of 20 years, I've been doing Belbin team role profiling to judge the suitability of the candidate for a job in a team. And uh, this, this behavioural assessment tool, and by the way, it's not a personality assessment, it is a behavioural assessment, um, is really, you know, backed up by solid research over the last 40 years. Um, and I found it uh, an extremely useful tool uh, where I can learn more about a person from their reports than I could do by working with them for three months. So it's it's very very relieve, re revealing. 
Okay, so. Uh, <clears throat> yep, sorry. Yeah, I, sorry to interrupt. So uh, I'm assuming the next thing, and if it's not, you go ahead with what you're going to say, but explain to us then how we're working with um, competence and suitability together. Okay, so um, if I can just clarify that um, uh, when you're using the Belbin, you're actually uh, um, defining team roles of a person. And Belbin has um, defined a team role as a tendency to behave, contribute, and interrelate with others in a particular way. Now, there are nine team roles in total. Uh, each of them has their own behavioral uh, contribution and also allowable weaknesses. And the key word there is allowable. It's, and it's, it's rather like getting, getting a, a coin. You know, you've got two sides to a coin. You know, which side is facing up? Um, are you seeing the contributions or are you seeing the allowable weaknesses? So let's just take an example. A person who is who is high in one team role called complete a finisher is detailed, painstaking, conscientious, and anxious. They search out errors. They polish and perfect, basically. Their main allowable weaknesses are that they are inclined to worry unduly. And uh, as a result of wanting the, to do their work at high standards or too high standards, they can be reluctant to delegate work. Um, so if you are high in complete finisher, they'd be, you know, people with that would be good in roles where accuracy, attention to detail is paramount. Um, you know, proofreading, for instance, in the in the Marcoms area, they don't look to them if they uh, f for um, ideas. Um, they're more used to actually implementing to high standards. <clears throat> um, one of the things that's that's interesting to note with completer finishers is that. Because they nobody they believe that nobody can do the work to the standard that they can, when they do make a mistake, then there is nobody that whips themselves harder than a completer finisher. So as a manager, you're best off giving praise, telling them not to worry, soothing them, etc. If you go in there, you know, all guns blazing, oh you missed this then you will completely wipe them out. So, you know, knowing people's uh, uh, preferred team roles will help you manage people better and get more out of them. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, go ahead. Shoot with a question because I feel as I'm doing all the talking here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how it's supposed to be. So that's good. So, so just to clarify, you said nine team roles. So I think people can imagine maybe what some of those are, and you give you've given a nice example of one of those. Uh, you know, um, certainly uh, many Marcom teams would like to have one of those people on their team, but they don't want six oh, of them yeah. on their team, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> And so I think you get a yeah. sense of the whole um, hiring for behavior. So each, so I guess the the sort of question I want to ask is: now you've got different needs on your team for different competencies, and in many cases, um, 
the suitability factors that you're looking for will be somewhat defined by the competency. So, for example, you said a, you know, a, you need a proofreader on a Marcom team. So, whoever's going to get that job um, needs to be a completer finisher. It's also possible that um, that isn't their primary job. They do something else, but anything that needs proofread, everybody on the team knows to say, you know, give it to that person. Um, so I guess in, in the general hiring process, you're looking for competencies, of course. That's probably the first thing because you have a role to fill in terms of a skill set you need. And you may have already, I presume, already have identified the different suitability or behavioral types on your team. And so you would also be looking to match someone with the right competencies and fill perhaps a gap on the behavioral side. Is that fair? Um, to some extent, that that is fair. One has to look at what is the definition of a team and what is uh, the difference between a team and a group? Now, a, a, a team usually has a common objective, and um, they're all working towards that. And that that's absolutely key for defining a team. Um, and in that context, you would need you would be a best to have a balance of the nine team roles in the team now that doesn't mean to say that you have to have nine people right um i one of each of the team roles in fact most people have between one and three team roles that are what's termed their preferred behaviors now Preferred behaviors are important to identify because they're the type of behaviors that you uh, can exhibit with no effort whatsoever. So, for instance, if you're under stress, uh, then you resort to type, as they say. And this is when definitely your, your preferred team roles actually come to the fore. Um, so if you are in a team where the team hasn't got, for instance, a completer finisher, but you've got it as one of your manageable roles, in other words, you could put a little bit more effort into exhibiting those behaviors, then you can actually make a contribution to the team, you know, and fill in doing the proofreading, for instance. But the one thing that... Uh, is definite is that the other group of, of team roles you have is the least preferred team roles and these are the one you need to really watch out for because um, if for instance you've got complete finisher as your least preferred team role you might be able to put a lot more effort into say doing the proofreading but the results are not likely to be as good as somebody that has it as their preferred uh, team role. And you'll get to the end of the job of the task and you'll say, thank God that's over. Now, you know, it's that's all right for short bursts. But if it is that you are put in a job where you're using your least preferred team roles on a daily basis, 
then you will become one of the moaners of the organizations because you won't enjoy the job you won't be successful um with all even with all the qualifications and experience um and you know you need to be mindful of this and basically remove yourself because sure as heck um somebody else will remove it remove you from that job um but it's it's not something that people can put into words unless they use a tool like belbin team role profiling okay so yeah that that all makes complete sense um i want to get to the part so you and i have spoken briefly about this before and i want to have you describe the two by two matrix that you um, describe for me, and we'll certainly link to um, a lot of this in the show notes so people can actually see what you're talking about. But um, with competence um, on one axis and suitability on another, and where you should be trying to place new hires so that in terms of development, um, they're in the right role and that they're not um, and, and that they're suitably challenged so can you describe that for us yeah sure um if you um if if the listeners draw a a a square on a piece of paper and subdivide it into four squares so that you have basically a boston matrix on the left hand axis um is eligibility and it's eligibility of a person for the job and the big square represents the job um, eligibility is qualifications experience skills um, those sorts of things suitability is on the bottom axis and the suitability is the behavioral requirements for the job uh, if you have at the top left-hand axis, 100%, and the bottom right-hand axis, 100%, and the bottom left is 0%. There you have the, the, the plot, if you like, of plotting eligibility against suitability. Now, obviously, um, looking at uh, a small square in the bottom left-hand corner, corner where it's 0% eligible and 0% suitable. Um, We wouldn't look for people like that. They would be unsuitable, ineligible, and basically unhappy for day one. And that's that's pretty logical. Um, On the other hand, if you look at the top left where the person is 100% eligible, has all the experience and the qualifications and the skill set, etc. But it has zero percent suitable um these basically will end up being the moaners of an organization they'll be unhappy um my description is that they need to be surgically removed from the job um and put into a uh, a job where they are much more suitable um they will be unhappy and it's just not worth going there i had a um a team of uh, a tech support team in Ambien who um, judged that a person was 100% eligible and really less than 50% suitable for the job. Uh, but they, they really wanted the person to come on board because they could speak French and this was to give tech support to, to France. So we hired him 
uh, he wasn't happy. They weren't happy. We extended the probationary period. And at the end of six months, we said, I'm sorry, it doesn't appear to be working. Uh, his response was, thank you. I'm glad you've come to that conclusion. Um, but we wasted six months plus another three months in trying to hire another person. So really, you really must guard against hiring just based on eligibility. Um, somebody who is at the top right, uh, sorry, bottom right, i.e. they're 100% suitable and 0% eligible, um, this person will have all the can-do factor, but none of the skills or qualifications or experience to be able to contribute instantly. Um, however, they make really good apprenticeships, and if anyone's organisation's big enough to carry them, you know, while they're getting trained and such such like, then they really make good hires. Uh, but it needs to be a conscious decision that you're going to hire that person. Now, the trap is that when you look at the top right of that square of the Boston matrix, where somebody is 100% eligible and 100% suitable, the logic is that they would be the absolute right person for the job. They'd be the best hire. Well, unfortunately, because that person could do the job standing on their heads, there would be no challenge for them. And they'd get bored and leave within six to 12 months. You know, having a challenge uh, and therefore a space to grow in experience is absolutely critical for somebody to enjoy their job, feel as though they're achieving something um, and seeing how they're developing and, and notice how they're developing. And the bottom line is that, you know, people like challenges. And if you've got no challenge there, it's what's the purpose? It's almost like the meaning of life. Exactly. So, so the, the question is, where do I look for, uh, um, you know, the right person to fit the job? Um, and I basically look for people who, is, uh, who, who are greater than 50% eligible but greater than 75% suitable. And the basis of this is that somebody with a high level of suitability, in other words, can do factor enjoyment, can really overcome a lot of obstacles and still get things done whilst enjoying their work. Um, it also leaves them growth room on the eligibility scale to, to learn new competencies, experience and skills. Hence, they, they feel as though they're growing, they're developing, they're achieving things, uh, which in turn is rewarding and fun. And I think the word fun needs to be focused on. People need to have fun in their job. Oh, thank you for saying that. So, you know... the. <laughs> really? I mean, I, 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 you know, I think Sorry, people... Sorry, it sounds obviously critical. Well, you would think people would recognize that, but they would, might be afraid to actually say that. But if you, if if anyone looked honestly at their own job, you know, if it's not fun, you know, you might be able to do it for a while, but not for long. <clears throat> and um, and 
And what, what I really like about what you've just described here is now here is a logical way to work fun into the equation. Short of putting a ping pong table in the break room, you know, you've redefined what makes a job fun in terms of in challenging and, and suitability. So, um, I, I really, I think it's just a great way to look at it where people can say we can get the right person who's going to love this job if we look in this part of the matrix. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the it, it, it's to me, it's critical to to get people in who have a really good chance of a, being successful and B, enjoying the job because they come into work the next morning saying, I want more. As opposed to those people who are unhappy in the job because the, the work they're doing is not suited to the behaviors. They come in, they wake up in the morning and think, oh, my God, I've got to go to work. You know, I want people leaping out of bed, coming to work, you know, wanting to come to work. And it's a critical thing. And I think employers and managers need to really, really take that message on board. Yeah, it's just it's just so easy to not think of it when you're under the pressure of filling a gap and you're looking and you, know, you think, naturally, I want the person who is most qualified for this job. And because going back to what we said at the beginning, you never get trained in this aspect of hiring or you know how to write a job description how to look for exactly the right person and and what makes sense about what you should be evaluating and how to make an objective measure of those behaviors in a what is often a compressed process i, I think um, yeah exactly the and and you know the 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 using this matrix um is you know it it's it's helpful it's guide it puts everything in perspective it's still a subjective judgment at the end it's still your judgment it's not a black and white tool this is to help you formulate uh, a decision okay and certainly by using a combination and it's a process a combination of the bell bin and a competency screening checklist to judge eligibility you could become much more objective and arrive at a far better judgment utilizing something that's common across all candidates yeah and i think i think everybody can appreciate that i mean honestly i've been a bad fit for a job and i've hired people who are a bad fit for a job and i've had x i've been a great fit for other jobs and hired great people. So I think, you know, if you've seen all of those, you can appreciate the value of having a tool like this. Yeah, it's a, it's a tool. It's a process. Um, it, to me, I'm, well, I, because of my team role, preferred team roles, it's got to be logical. So, you know, it, it gives me something on which I can put my back up against it and make a, uh, a, a rational decision. And I've, you know, as I mentioned earlier about the cornerstones of a great company and philosophies. I very much believe that one of those should be making the right decision for the right reason. Yeah. Well, Bob Penny, this has been um, a fascinating and really helpful interview. I think uh, marketers or anyone listening who's thinking about hiring someone or 
worries in the long term about how to build a team. Because I think also the other challenge is some teams, you don't get this opportunity very often and you think, ah, you know, it's one thing. But in the long run, somebody in that company should be thinking, you know, bigger picture about how teams come together. So that's valuable. And uh, I really just appreciate you taking the time to lay this out for us. So um, I'm going to put some links into the show notes, um, but where can people find out more about you or Mercatius and, and get in touch with you? Um, I think the best thing to do is to look on LinkedIn uh, under Bob Penny. Uh, my contact details are there. Um, I don't have a website. And the reason I don't have a website is because I work on uh, references only and your listeners being re referred to to me by you and your program is, is fine by me. Uh, so my details are there um, and uh, just email me. I am happy to help people. Um, and it, I should say one thing, Chris, that, that, that's actually quite important, that actually knowing your own team role profile will enable you to take charge of your career. Because if you know your preferred team roles, you can look for jobs that are going to uh, obviously have the team roles that uh, you have. So for instance, a sales job, you know, you know that a sales job requires self-starting, outgoing person, developing contacts, being objective focused, overcoming obstacles, etc. Um, and uh, they are basically associated with two team roles. One's called resource investigator and the other one is shaper. And if you've got those in your preferred roles, especially if they're, they're, they're your top roles, then you are likely to be good at the job and enjoy it. So you can, by knowing your, your, your preferred team roles, take charge of assessing the behaviors that are potentially going to be required uh, in, a, in a job that you're going for. And you can ask the interviewers questions based around behaviors. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for bringing that up because we have been talking about this whole thing in the context of hiring someone, but we haven't really touched on how do I take advantage of this for myself to make sure that I'm advancing the way I want to. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. And people don't need to come to me for, for doing their own Belbins. They can go to the Belbin website. It's available online. Uh, it's, you know, payable online it's doable online and you get an email of your Belbin profile so it's it's actually really easy to do i'm probably going to do that i'm i'm an assessment taker an obsessive assessor so <laughs> all right once again After you i'll do it free of charge so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> all right um thank you again very much bob penny i will put all those links uh your linkedin profile the Belbin site and so on um in the show nights for this episode. Super, Chris, and thanks for having me on. Much appreciated. My pleasure.